and that time of praise. We appreciate it so much. What great songs to be singing on Easter Sunday morning. Are you ready for the traditional Easter greeting? Christ is risen. Very good. Well done. So that traditional Easter greeting is actually based on the message delivered by two angels to women who had come to the tomb where Jesus' body had been placed. It was the first day of the week, early Sunday morning. And Luke chapter 24, verse 6, recorded their announcement this way. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And the third day, rise again. You may remember a similar announcement by an angel at his birth. Not to women, but to shepherds who were watching over their flocks by night on the hillside outside that little town of Bethlehem. It was a birth announcement, announcing the arrival of Israel's long-awaited Messiah. But this Easter announcement that we're considering this morning is different. It is still, to this day, requiring or calling for a response from you and from me. Both a personal and a corporate level response. You see, Jesus' resurrection from the dead provided undeniable proof that he was who he claimed to be, did what the scriptures say he did, and will do what he promised he will do. He came as a demonstration of God's own love for us while we were still sinners to pay the price for our sins so that whoever believes in him will not perish but has passed out of death and into life, and that is eternal life. Life both now and forever. It speaks of both a quality and a quantity of life with God. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And that, beloved, is the message of Easter. An announcement that is calling for both a personal and corporate or collective response. In other words, using a question format, how will you and you and you respond to the message of Easter personally? And secondly, how will we respond to the message of Easter collectively? Personally, I responded to the message of Easter during the last week of August in the year 1975. I'd been invited by a girlfriend's family to join them on a week-long family vacation at a campground just north of Toronto. The campground turned out to be a church-based campground. And I soon discovered that the schedule for the week included attending church services every single day. 
morning and evening. <laughs> Wasn't amen at that time. At the Wednesday night service, the preacher shared a message based on heaven and hell. He said, this is what the Bible says about heaven. And this is what the scriptures say about hell. And I can just remember him reading verse after verse, describing those two places. And then he closed his message by quoting 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, 12, and 13. And this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Verse 13, these things I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know, that means beyond any reasonable doubt, be absolutely convinced, experientially know, you can be absolutely convinced that you have eternal life. After reading those verses, the preacher of the week invited anyone who did not have Jesus, but wanted him, to join him at the front of the chapel as they sang their closing song. Many went forward. And I desperately wanted to, but I just couldn't. There was such a battle raging within me. I managed to escape the service that night, but the restlessness that had begun in my heart and mind at that time, would not leave me. At about 4 a.m. the next morning, I climbed out of bed and knelt beside the bed and admitted to God that I was a sinner. I asked him for his forgiveness, thanked him for sending Jesus to die for my sins, And I asked him to help me to begin to live my life in a way that would please him. And not just for myself or for what I wanted to get out of life. Immediately, the restlessness left me. Immediately. And I went to bed with an unbelievable confidence and peace that I never woke up. I knew that I would wake up in heaven. And I can say that that has never left me in all the years since then. So for me, that is when the Easter message became personal. Have you responded to the Easter message personally? If not, why not? What is preventing you from believing the message of Easter? I want to give you an opportunity right now, right where you're sitting, to respond to that message of Easter. Admit that you are a sinner. 
Ask God for his forgiveness. Thank him for sending Jesus to die and pay the price for your sin and mine. And finally, ask him for help so that you can begin to live your life in a way that will please him and not just for yourself. Admit, please God, thank you, and help. Take the message of Easter personally. The Apostle Paul, in his first letter to the church at Corinth, wrote, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Believe it. So our response to the Easter message must first of all be personal. I responded, for, I can't respond for you, and you can't respond for me, and parents can't respond for their children as much as we would like to at times. The best that we can do is expose our friends, our family members, our associates to the message of Easter so that they will have an opportunity to respond personally. But personal does not mean private. The message of Easter calls for us to respond both personally and collectively. Remember, there are two questions. How will you respond? And how will we respond? Today, we're not just celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, but we're celebrating the completion of a series of messages that have been based on the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians. A series that began seven months ago, and I looked it up this past week. The first message was preached on August 30th, 2020. Would have been nice to have cake and ice cream following the service this morning as a bit of a celebration, but COVID-19 has put a bit of a damper on that, so maybe after the next series we'll be able to have cake and ice cream again. Anyway... Congratulations, church family. We've come to the end of a a long series of messages, and I just want to say thank you for giving me the opportunity to lead you and to study in depth this New Testament book called Ephesians. I've enjoyed every minute of it. But sometimes when we get focused on the details for such a long period of time, the saying is true. We lose sight of the forest for the trees. We can't see the forest for the trees. We lose that big picture. And so this morning, I want us just to step back and do a brief survey, and I'll say very brief, um, of the church, the story of the church at Ephesus. And in in doing so, we will see how they responded to the message of Easter. In Romans chapter 15, verse 5, we read, 
For whatever was written in earlier times, and certainly this story of the church at Ephesus was written in earlier times, for whatever is written in earlier times was written for our instruction. My hope and my prayer is that a survey of the story of the church at Ephesus will instruct us in our, in our corporate response to the message of Easter even this morning. Additionally, I hope it will encourage you to return again and again to this New Testament letter as we continue to work out our salvation as God works in it. I hesitate calling it Christianity 101 because it is no way um, basic Christianity, but it is lays a basic foundation in our lives that we need to incorporate if we're going to work out and experience the salvation that God wants us to experience, has designed us to experience. Let me pray, and then we'll begin digging into God's word. Father, thank you for the transformational power in the, me in the message of Easter. Up from the grave he arose with mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. And that same power used to raise Jesus from the dead is now at work in our lives. In the lives of all who are by faith trusting Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. And that is the message of Easter. Jesus died. The righteous for the unrighteous. The just for the unjust. While we were yet sinners. Your enemies. So that he could bring us safely home to you. Home. We pray that that is or will be the case for every person in this room. And not just for us here this morning, but we are praying for the members of our families, our friends and our associates. The people in our lives for whom we care deeply and love. That they too would be brought home to you through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. The one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Father, thank you for that clarity. And now use this story of the church at Ephesus to instruct us, we pray, by the power of your spirit, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Christ has risen. He is risen indeed. A brief survey of the story of the church at Ephesus will prepare us to respond to that message corporately and collectively. Turn with me, first of all, to, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. Beginning at verse 18. The Apostle Paul was on his second of three church planting missions or expeditions. 
Some of you may remember that he was commissioned by the church in Antioch, Syria. They were sent out to spread the gospel. In other words, to um, spread the message of Easter throughout the Roman Empire. And so he traveled to distant towns and cities with this message. In commissioning them, they were following that great commission that Jesus gave just prior to his ascension into heaven. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Let's uh, begin reading at verse 18. Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. In other words, he's heading home. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Sencrea, he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. They came to Ephesus, and he left them there. That's Priscilla and Aquila. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent. But taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God's will, he set sail from Ephesus. By the way, we've adopted that same directive from Jesus as our own here at the Rock Community Church. We believe the Rock Community Church exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ. But here in Acts chapter 18, the Apostle Paul is on an intentional, directed, um, church planting. He's looking to make disciple-making churches all over the Roman Empire. And so when he arrives at the city of Ephesus, this marked the beginning of the story of the church at Ephesus. A story that began when the people of Ephesus heard this message of Easter. The year was 52 AD. So about 20 years after Jesus had been crucified, buried, and ascended. So what does this tell us about the church at Ephesus? The church at Ephesus was planted when they heard the message of Easter. And they not, did not just hear it, but they responded to it with open, teachable minds and receptive hearts. So thinking about that, how can we collectively or corporately respond to the message of Easter? You have to hear it. Listen to it. And notice verse 22. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church. That's the church in Jerusalem. And went down to Antioch, Syria. Home sweet home. So the Ephesians had wanted Paul to stay, but he said no and returned home. Verse 23. And having spent some time there at home, he left and passed successively through the Galatian region, Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So this was the beginning of Paul's third missionary journey or 
expedition, church planting expedition. And what he did to begin with is he first returned to churches that he had initially planted on his first missionary trip through the province of Galatia and Phrygia. Interesting. That is in present-day Turkey, right? So it's in Asia in those days. And he's making his way through this province of Asia. And look where he ends up. After visiting these churches, he arrived once again at Ephesus. The Apostle Paul's second encounter with the church at Ephesus is reported in chapter 19, the book of Acts. And it continues right through until verse 20. Let's read the first 10 verses here, verse of chapter 19. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some other some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Brand new information to them. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. That's John the Baptist, a baptism of repentance. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying, evidence that they had received the Holy Spirit. There were in all about twelve men. And he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them, key words, about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. This took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greek. And then flip over to verse 1 of chapter 20. After the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he left to go to Macedonia. In other words, he crossed the Aegean Sea and ended up what we would now refer to as Greece. Again, he had been there on his second missionary expedition, and he was going back to visit churches that he had planted earlier. Look at verses 17. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them. In the name of the Lord, Jesus was magnified. So from Miletus, he said, sorry, that was turned back to the wrong chapter. Verse 17 of Acts chapter 20. From Miletus, he sent to the Ephesian elders, the Eph he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. 
So what's happening here, he's made a loop, he's crossed the Aegean Sea, went through Greece, and he's coming back down, heading to Jerusalem and back home again. And rather than go to Ephesus directly, he goes to Miletus and calls these leaders of the church to join him there. It's about a two-day trip from Ephesus to Miletus that was out on the coast. And so for whatever reason, he didn't want to go back into the city of Ephesus, probably because they would try and talk to him him into staying longer. Notice his farewell described in verse 36. Beginning at verse 36. When he had said these things to the leaders who had come from Ephesus, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially for the word which he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to his ship. So the Apostle Paul had spent two and a half to three years of his life in the city of Ephesus. Later, he would send his young protege, a man by the name of Timothy, to further establish this work in Ephesus. But during these years, Remember, he showed up the first time, it was 52 AD, but between 54 AD and 57 AD, the church at Ephesus was established. Why spend all this time in Ephesus? Perhaps it was because it was the biggest, or the fifth biggest church in the entire Roman Empire. It was the capital of the province of Asia, but the fifth largest city in the entire Roman Empire that spread all around, included all the land around the Mediterranean Sea. I looked up the fifth largest city in Canada. Toronto, number one, of course, 6.2 million. Montreal, 4.2 million. Vancouver, 2.6 million. Calgary, 1.5 million. Fifth largest city in Canada, Edmonton, 1.4 million. How about the fifth largest city in North America? Largest, of course, is Mexico City. Comes in at 20,892,000. It's two-thirds the size of the population of Canada. The fifth largest is Dallas-Fort Worth at 7 million. All that to say that this Ephesus where Paul landed and spent all of this time establishing this church was a significant city in the first century world. So how do we respond to the message of Easter collectively or corporately? We listen to it and then we learn it. We have to know, have the information, know the scriptures. The third stage of development for this church at Ephesus came via the letter that we just spent the last seven months focusing on. Here we see the church at Ephesus being nurtured. Approximately 10 years have passed since Paul was last in the city of Ephesus. It's now 62 AD. 
Let's flip through the book, noticing the highlights that we've discovered over the last seven months, beginning with chapter one. It's a great chapter. You remember that Paul wrote a sentence here that turns out to be the longest sentence in the New Testament, and perhaps the longest single sentence in the entire Bible. And what is he talking about? How God has blessed his people. Remember there was a, just a brief introduction. Apostle Paul writes that long sentence and included in it, he explains the blessing that God pours out on those who are trusting Jesus Christ alone for, his, for their salvation. And it is an overwhelming list. We could probably spend seven months on those verses alone. And then he reminds us that it isn't all about us. This is all about the power of God working in and through us. Notice verses 18 to 20. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of the inheritance to the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So verse 1 closes with us absolutely dependent on God. And remember, we approached this book saying the title or the theme of it was heavenly-minded and earthly good. Both heavenly-minded and earthly good. Because oftentimes we hear that saying, you're so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. But here in the book of Ephesians, it says both are absolutely necessary. And so that first three chapters deals with the things that we need to know. And the last three, four to six deal with how we are to live or what we are to do in light of what we now know. He starts off, this is more theoretical, seeing life from heaven's perspective, and he starts us off with these. This is how God blesses. Chapter 2. As we look at chapter 2, don't ever forget from where you've come. That's what he lays out in the first 10 verses. This is what you were, verse 4. I hope you've highlighted or underlined or circled those first two words. But God, and then of course, verses 8 through 10 are worth committing to memory. And in Christ, we are made one, and the Christian life is meant to be lived in community. That's the second half of Chapter 2. Look at verse 8 and 9 and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance, or beforehand, so that we would walk in them. That has to be the verse that resonates with me the most in this entire study, verse 10. 
And I like the way the NIV puts it. I think it's the NIV that says, for we are not, this says, for we are his workmanship. There it says, for we are God's masterpiece. That's what he's creating us to be. Unbelievable. Verse 22. In whom you also were being built up, built together into a dwelling of God in his Holy Spirit. So the Christian life is never meant to be flying solo through life. There is that community aspect that we cannot deny. Chapter 3, Paul share how he's working out this all out in his own life. What he's just shared. Being God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Look at verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Remember, he's writing from a prison. He's incarcerated in the city of Rome and writing this letter. Verse 8. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. And verse 13. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory. Paul's working out. He's being a good steward of what God has entrusted to him. In chapter 4, Paul pivots and starts talking about really where the rubber meets the road in the Christian life. Through the next three chapters, he addresses how we should walk. Or how we should live our lives. Notice it's not a sprint. But neither is it a lie down on the couch. Or put your feet up in your lazy boy. It is, as one author put it. A long walk of obedience. In the same direction. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord... Implore you, I beg you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Verse 17. That you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk. In other words, there's a change of behavior. And that section, verse 22 to 24, is another, just one of those passages that needs to jump off the page. Listen to this. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside or put off the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Transformation. Continuing into chapter 5. Verses 1 and 2. Walk in love. Verse 8. Walk as children of light. And again, note that this, this walk is never to be a walk alone. We're walking together. It's personal. This Christian life is personal. Our response to the message of Easter is personal. But it's not private. Never intended to be. It's a walk in the context of a community of believers called the church. It's walking together. Verse 15. Be careful how you walk. And that begins 
according to the rest of the chapter, close to home. With our relationships as husbands and wives. Relationships as parents and children. And then employer and employee. And Paul finishes up this letter to the Ephesians with a section where he's really, I think, trying to wake us up. Beginning at verse 10 of chapter 6. By making us aware of the fact that we need to be prepared to live life in the midst or on a spiritual battlefield. What a letter. The church at Ephesus was nurtured. So in light of this letter to the Ephesians, how are we or how can we respond collectively and corporately to the message of Easter? I think that first verse in Ephesians chapter 4, we have to live it. Day in and day out. Live it. Finally, turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. Apostle John has been exiled to the island of Patmos because of his faith. Actually, church history tells us that the Apostle John ended up in the city of Ephesus in the later years of his life and probably took Jesus' mother with him. But eventually he was exiled to the um, island of Patmos and he's now in the closing years of the first century probably around 96 AD, this outline or preview in verse 19 of chapter 1 of Revelation gives us kind of an overview of this entire book. Therefore, write the things which you have seen, that's verse one or chapter 1, and the things which, which are, that's chapters 2 and 3, and the things which will take place after these things. And that's chapters 4 through 22 of the Revelation. Notice verse 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels or messengers of of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. What happens next is John reveals what he saw in a vision about seven churches that Paul had been involved in planting in that area today that we call Turkey. They were actual churches. Look at verse 5. Actually, let me read. The first one, of course, to come up is the, this church in Ephesus. So the story of the church of Ephesus begins at verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, Jesus, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put the test, put to, te- to the test, those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. 
And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Period. And if it only ended there, it would have been great. So here we find the church of Ephesus being evaluated by Christ himself. And he starts off with some great words of commendation. And then verse 4 begins with, But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Wow. Words of condemnation. Here's something that you need to be aware of. Jesus is saying to the church at Ephesus. You need to address it. You, you will want to improve in this area. So as we read those words and this evaluation of the church at Ephesus, how can we respond to the message of Easter collectively or corporately? Love it. Actually, stroke out the it and put in love him. Because I think that they were loving it. They were loving getting together, loving doing church together. But what happened? I have this against you. That you've left your first love. Love it. No Love him. Listen to it, learn it, live it, and love him. That's how we can respond corporately to the message of Easter. So this morning has been all about the message of Easter. How will you respond personally? Believe it. How will we respond, collectively or corporately? Listen to the message, learn it, live it, and love him. Together, as the Rock Community Church. Christ is risen. risen Father, thank you for the message of Easter. Help us to respond appropriately both on a personal level and then collectively as a local church, a localized expression, the very body of Christ, by the power of your spirit, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.